Kiki Wow. Thank you, Kiki. That's a pretty song. Hmm. Good to see all of you. Good to see all of you. Well, we're on to another uh, month here. We have our annual theme that we've been doing, which is Awake and Alive, We Thrive. And we've been moving through the whole year with that. And Reverend Megan wrapped up last month's theme last week. Reverend Megan and Reverend Doris were here. Did you enjoy that? Is that fun? Yeah, good. It's good to have them here. Uh, but this uh, month, this May theme is our new theme, which is Living with Purpose. Living with Purpose. And our talk title today is What's Mine? What's Mine? As Reverend Megan said, we do have our new book of the month, which is uh, The Game of Life with Florence uh, Shovel Shin. And she has quite a few books, but this is the one that we're looking at. It's called a prosperity classic, which I thought was interesting, and it is, but it's also a life classic. It's just not about money. It's about how to live life. So we're going to talk more about that throughout the month. And... Uh, Today we're going to talk about purpose. What do we mean when we're talking about purpose? I mean, what is purpose? And what does it mean to live with purpose? You know, and I think it can mean different things to different people. Uh, it can mean that we're living with this idea that we have a destiny, that there's something that we're supposed to do. You know, although here in religious science, we don't really teach that we have a predestined uh, future. But for some people, it might mean that. For other people, it might mean that they're living intentionally. They're living with a very clear intention on their life. They're living on purpose. And uh, for others, it might mean that they're living for a greater good, a greater cause, or maybe something that they're very much enthused by and connected with and that they're living in that purpose but for us for today we're going to talk about living on purpose as living an intentional life as living with intention being awake and aware right which is our theme this year we're talking about all the different ways we can be awake and aware how we can be conscious as we move through this thing called life as we play the game of life you know, there are thousands and thousands of self-help books. I'm sure some of you have read a few of them. No, have you read a few of them? I've read a few of them. I've read a lot of them. Self-help books. And there's lots of self-help books out there that say how to find your purpose, right? Do what you love and the money will follow, you know, is one of the classic ones. And, and there's so many of them. And, you know, and some of them are very, very good. Some of them, I think, if you read them and you followed the instructions and you did what it said that they told you to do, that you would get far along on finding out what your purpose is. You know, there's, there's uh, some that, that perhaps are not so good. One of the things that I always found interesting that a lot of the books say is, what is your true heart's desire? You know, and my answer was always, I wish I knew that. Right? I wish I knew what my whole true heart's desire was because then I would go do it. Right? But I couldn't, you know. And, and I love books. I mean, I'm a book junkie. Those of you that know me, I love, 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 love books. You know, I went to my library yesterday and I thought, well, I wonder how many books I have. And I kind of just quickly added them up in my head. And I have about 1,500 books. About 1,500 books. I'm an absolute book junkie. And you know, and I love knowledge. That's the thing, you know. Most of the books I've read, I'd say 70% of them I've read cover to cover. 30% of them I've read chapters or I've read parts of, you know. And then there's some I haven't read at all. And uh, the thing that I came to know about why I love to read is that I love to know. I love to know. I'm a seeker. 
You know, I'm a seeker. That's part of who I am. That's part of my purpose. So I seek, and I seek by reading. But one of the things that I found out as I traveled this road and started to learn a little bit more about myself is one of the reasons that I love to read and one of the reasons that I love knowledge so much is because I equated knowledge with safety. I just thought if I knew enough, if I read enough, I'd be okay, right? And what I came to learn about that was that I was relying on the God of the intellect, right? I was relying on this, God, this intellectual God that would keep me safe. And I had that misplaced faith. I had put my faith in something that wasn't real, wasn't true. You know, so I had to learn to put my faith in the God of our fathers, the God of the heavens and spirit, source, creative intelligence, whatever we call it. But I still love knowledge. I still love reading. I still love reading. But no longer do I think it's the thing that's going to save me, you know, because for a long time I did. You know, with the way that we can buy books nowadays, you know, Bobby can bring them into the bookstore, we can order them on Amazon and get it the next day. We can download it on our Kindle instantly, and that's where I fall into a lot of trouble. I'm writing my talk, and I come across something, and I think, I want that book. And I download it, and I, I need to put myself on a timeout. I totally do. Timeout, no more books. No more books. You know, there's some people that are born knowing their purpose. Do you know anybody like that that's just so clear? They were born and they know it and they do it. You know, and I think that's great. You know, my children are two of those people. You know, and I have a theory about that. I have a theory about that because I think why they're so clear on what it is that they came here to do is that they were raised religious scientists. They were raised from the time they were born with the idea that they could do and be anything. Never once did their father or I tell them, oh, you have to go to college. We really didn't care if they went to college. You know, I didn't go to college right out of high school. Um, we always told them to follow your heart. Do what it is that you love. Find what you love and do that thing. You know, and, uh, and they did. And so they, they, they just continue to follow their passion and follow what it is that they dreamed of. And I think that's why they're doing what they're doing. Never once did they think you can't do that, right? Never once did they think that. Now, that wasn't the case for me. For me, I felt like a fish out of water. Growing up as a child, I felt like everybody had the instructions on how to do life. And I, like, missed out. Like, I missed out on what it was that I was supposed to do. What was the thing that was going to make me happy? What was the purpose? Why was I here? And we got so much information when we are born and as we're growing up. We get so many opinions from so many different people about what is the thing that's going to make you happy. What's the thing? What is it? Right? And uh, I became very, very confused about that. This past year... I came across a new author for me, a new writer, Martha Beck. I don't know if any of you have heard of Martha Beck. She's written several books. She, is a, she was a researcher at Harvard. Uh, she, was a, um, uh, she had a counseling um, program, or she taught career counseling. That's what she taught. And uh, she's become a life coach, and she's become a writer, and she's moved on to lots of different things. But she's experienced a lot of it. She experienced this journey of not knowing what her calling was. And what she says, it's a little bit different than other self-help books that I read, and it really resonated with me, was that idea of, yeah, it'd be great to do what it is that we love if we knew what it was that we loved. Right? And she really talks about that. And one of her books is called um, Your True North. Uh, I'll give you the real title of it. 
Finding Your Own North Star. Finding Your Own North Star. And that was one of the books that I got interested in. Um, she um, acknowledges and recognizes that we don't all know what it is. Finding Your Own North Star, Claiming the Life You Were Meant to Live. That's the full title of the book. And she talks about two selves. She talks about two selves. She talks about our essential self and our socialized self. And that's the piece that really interests me. Because that essential self is the self we're born with. It's the, self, it's, the self, it's the person that we came here as a little child. We have that essential self. And then we have this socialized self that we've sort of learned over time. That idea of uh, you should do this, or you should be this, or this is what a girl should do, or this is what a boy should do. And we get all this information piled on top of our cute little essential self before we no longer know who it is that we are. She has a, 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 a lovely part of the book that I'm going to read for you. She says, your essential self formed before you were born, and it will remain until you've shuffled off your mortal coil. It is the personality you got from your genes, your characteristic desires, preferences, emotional reactions, and involuntary psychological responses, bound together by an overall sense of identity. It would be the same whether you'd be born in France, China, or Brazil by beggars or millionaires. It's the core of who you are. It's not socialized in any way. The social self, on the other hand, is the part of you that developed in response to pressures from the people around you, including everyone from your family to your first love to the Pope. Your essential self was the part of you that cracked your first baby smile, your social self noticed how much mommy loved that smile and later reproduced it at exactly the right moment to convince her to lend you the down payment on a condo. <laughs> right, right. So we learn. We learn what it is that we need to do to get the things that we want. We're going to talk about today being on purpose with our essential self being on purpose with our essential self. Removing all those layers that have been put upon us from birth to today, right? And, and that's one of the great things that religious science does. I believe the practice of religious science helps us to find our essential self. It helps us to remove those layers, those belief systems that we've taken on, that we're lived with, those, that race consciousness that may have come from our family, that comes from society, and allows us to say, this is who I am. This is who I am without all that stuff on me. This is what I believe. This is what I value. So many of our classes are set up to help you uncover and discover. I love that idea of uncovering, discovering, and discarding. You know, getting rid of all the stuff that no longer works so you can just stand in your true self, your God self, without all that other stuff added to it. You know, first of all, what I think that we want to remember and know about who we truly are is that we are individualized expressions of the divine. That we are magnificent. We are perfect, whole, and complete. Florence Shin says, what is true of God is true of me. So if it's not true of God, it's not true of me. I'm not broken. There's nothing wrong with me that needs to be fixed. I'm a perfect expression of the divine, each one of us. Right? It's like if we're a chip off the old block, then everything that's in the block is in the chip. Right? 
It's the same thing. We talk about being the wave in the ocean or the ray of the sun. Everything that's in the sun is in the ray. We're not the sun, but all the qualities of the sun are in that ray. Just like all the qualities of God are in us. Even though we're not God, we sure are an individualized expression of God. Hmm. You know, it's very different to know it and to live it, right? It's very easy to talk the talk, but can we walk the walk, right? Can we live our life as if we are this magnificent expression of God? Or are we living our life small? Are we living our life afraid? Are we living our life in lack? See, that's not living as God. You know, if God was here in human form walking the planet, I am sure he, she, it would not be afraid, right? He, she, it would be expressive, would be open, would be joyful, would be loving. All those beautiful qualities of God that we hope to emulate, to be. You know, knowing your purpose, knowing what it is that we came here to do or to be can be very complicated or it can be very simple. Right? It's up to us. But what is needed, I believe, is to tune in, is to slow down, is to get quiet, to take some time in our spiritual practice, which I'm sure we're all doing every day, our spiritual practice, you know, and to try things on, you know, and one of the great things about energy is we can try things on without really having to go do the thing. Like if we're thinking about maybe marrying someone, for instance, we try that on. In our mind's eye, we sit and we feel, what does that feel like to be married to this person? What would it feel like to wake up every morning and have this person next to me? What would it feel like to commingle all of our finances and our life, you know? And if your gut is like, eh, that's a good sign that it's probably not the right thing, right? But if your gut is like, oh yeah, that feels good. See, our body knows. Our body knows. We can try on these different ideas in life and see what it is. See what it is that, it, that we're called to do or to be. You know, how many people do you know that are in jobs that they hate? And they stay there day after day, week after week, dreading it. You know, I want to say to you, you don't need to do that. You can move into the place of joy. You can move into the place of happiness. There's a wonderful story from Steve Jobs that I've always liked, and it goes something like this. When he was 17 years old, he read a quote uh, that said, if you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. right? And he said it made a real impression on him. And so every morning he would wake up and he would look in the mirror and he would think if he was happy about what he was doing that day. And if more than a few days in a row the answer was no, he knew that he had to change something. Right? He knew that he had to change something. He didn't stay in this place of being unhappy. Are you willing to be that awake? Are you willing to be that aware? Are you willing to be that alive? Are you willing to pay attention to how you feel, right? If you want to pull the covers over your head in the morning and not face the day, there's something going on there. There's something to take a look at, right? And it's probably something to change. 
Living a life on purpose requires living a conscious life. And to live a conscious life, we need to slow down, right? We need to get off the hamster wheel. We need to stop and smell the roses. I loved Deb stopped and was smelling the flowers outside this morning. Taking the time to be in life. If we're moving at the speed of light, we're missing. We're missing it. We're missing the whole experience. It's a story of a father, a wise man, and he was the elder of a village. And he had a son. Now, many people came to him and asked his advice, and he was well-respected. But his son, his son was lazy. His son didn't do much. His son sat around, talked with his friends, hung out, you know. And as the father got older and he moved into his senior years, he became very concerned for his son. He thought, there is something that I need to teach my son so he can have purpose in his life, so he can have a reason, you know. So he called his son to him and he said, son... I want for you to go on this journey. I want you to go find a treasure. And he gave his son a bag. And when the son opened the bag, what he saw in it was four changes of clothes, one for each season. There was some food, some seeds, some grain. There was some money, and there was a map. And the father said, this map will take you to the treasure. I want you to go there and find it. Well, the son got very excited about this. The very next morning, he got up. He was very eager to go off, and off he went to find the treasure. And he had to travel a long way. He traveled through different countries. He traveled through different terrains. He traveled through different seasons. He stopped along the way, and he saw people who helped him. They, they fed him. They gave him shelter. He was even almost robbed one time. He had a lot of things along this journey. And it took him almost a year to get to the destination. And on the map, the treasure was at the bottom of a cliff under a tree. Well, he saw the tree. And he went down to it and he dug, and he dug, and he dug, and he dug. He looked under it, he looked around it, he looked in it, he looked everywhere he could look. For two days he did this. On the third day he was exhausted. He gave up. And he started home, and he was very angry at his father for lying to him. You know, when he started the journey home. But on the journey home, he took his time. He took his time. He stopped and he talked with the people that had helped him along the way, and he thought he'd help them, you know. Sometimes he just stopped to watch the sunset. Sometimes he just stopped in a beautiful place to see it. And he took his time, and he wandered, and he wandered, and it took him almost a year to get home. And when he got there, he went right into his father's room, and his father jumped up and hugged him, and he said, son, did you find the treasure? And he said, no, father, I didn't. Please forgive me. And he noticed that he had moved from anger to asking his father's forgiveness. You know, and his father said, that's okay, there was no treasure. And he said, but Father, why did, he, why did you send me? He said, because I wanted you to know what it was like to have a goal, what it was like to have a purpose. But more importantly, I wanted you to know what it was like to have found that purpose and been able to take your time. And the son said, yes, Father, that was true. On my way there, I was in a hurry. I was worried. I was thinking somebody else was going to get the treasure. And all I was focused on was getting that treasure. But on the way home, it no longer mattered. I learned how to hunt. I learned how to sew my own clothes. I learned how to take care of myself. I learned how to make shelter. I learned how to help people. I had a wonderful time in that journey. And the father said, yes, it's very important to have a goal, but to wear it loosely, to allow yourself to enjoy the beauty that's around you. You know, are we so 
trapped? Are we so wrapped up in social media, for instance? You know, are we on our emails all day long? Are we on our phone? I don't know if any of you saw the Diane Sawyer special. That was uh, two nights ago about social media. It's really great if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, are we just plugged in to all that's there with us and not paying attention to what's going on? You know, I encourage you to unplug. Take one day a week and just unplug. One day a week, we don't do cell phones, we don't do computer, we don't do whatever. You know, we get out in nature. We get out in nature and we, we, we nurture ourselves. You know, can we do that? There's an interesting article that's floating around the web. I don't know if you've seen it. It says, it's not your body that's tired, it's your soul. Got my attention, you know, as I read that article. You know, is your soul tired? Is your essential self exhausted? Can you imagine the amount of energy that it takes to keep your essential self stuffed down, to keep it squashed, to keep it like acting as if you're this other thing that you're not, trying to please everybody else but yourself? That takes a tremendous amount of energy, you know, to do our shoulds and our woulds and have tos and our to-do list and all that stuff that we think that we have to do, which is so not true. What about that part of you that came into this world knowing what you wanted, knowing what you loved, loving to dance, loving to play, loving to sing, loving to do numbers, whatever that thing is that you just love to do, that thing that you do that no matter what, the time just passes, you spend three or four hours and you don't even notice, right? That's why so many of the books that tell us to look for our purpose ask us to go back to our childhood because those are the clues. Those are the clues. What did we like to do as a kid? What did we do where we would just sit and it would pass, right? Time would pass and you would have fun. There's a wonderful book called Noble Purpose, Barry Harriman, I believe it is. And we have a course that's written The Noble Purpose. I don't know if you've taken it. I don't think we've offered it here at Monterey, but we've offered it at other centers. It's just a little tiny book, but it's a really great book because you go through and it asks you, number one, to look at the people you admire in the world. Like, who are the people you admire? You know, the top five people you admire. And what are those qualities that those people have, right? And then it asks you to list your values. It asks you to look at what it is that you love to do as a child. Right? And it helps you as you move forward and uncovering this little essential self of yours that maybe is lost. Maybe hasn't been able to speak in a while. Maybe hasn't been able to do the thing that it is that they love to do. You know, we talked about our values, and I know that we talk about values in, in clash. You know, we talk about looking at our values and, and measuring the things that we choose to do against our values. Right? If we value, for instance, the planet, and we have a job that just creates all kinds of pollutants, we're not living our values. See, we need to take a look at that. Our essential self is not in alignment there. Our poor little essential self is saying, no, save the planet, save the planet, right? And we need to honor that, we need to do that. If we want to be in integrity, if we want to have peace, if we want to have joy, if we want to express our true God self, if we want to live with purpose on purpose, You know, we're an interesting time in the world, you know, if you just turn on the headlines, read the paper, you know, look at what's going on. There's so much going on. It can be very disheartening. You know, all the shootings that we've had, it seems like almost every day there's another place where someone's been killed, you know, and that can feel 
like there's something missing, there's something wrong. You know, I, I believe that we're at a tipping place in our world. I believe that we're a place where something is going to shift. You know, it's like that whole idea of the pendulum and it swings way one way before it comes back to center. And I kind of feel that's how we are. We're like way over here. You know, if we focus too much on that, it can be scary. You know, it can be scary. I know for a lot of our young people, it is very scary. You know, but I believe that each of us, I truly believe this, that each one of us here, each one sitting in this seat, uh, each one that's here on this planet, at this time in this place, chose to be here at this time in this place for a reason. That we are here for a purpose. It's no accident that you're here in 2019 when all this stuff is going on and that you're learning these tools of science of mind and you're learning how to express your God self and you're learning how to be your essential self in the world. It's no accident. I believe that there's a purpose and a reason for it all. You know, and the thing is that we don't have to do it alone. We have each other to do it with. You know, there was a popular book, a bestseller, Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life. And it sold 30 million copies when it first came out. And one of the reasons that I think it sold so many copies is because people are craving a purpose. They're craving a reason. They're wanting to know, why am I here? What's it all about? Right? Now, it's written from a very Christian perspective, and, and, and you have to kind of filter it if you read it through our, our teaching. But this whole idea of purpose... You know, he wrote another book, which is called The Purpose Driven Church. The Purpose Driven Church. And that one I find interesting. You know, what is our purpose? What is our purpose here at Monterey Center for Spiritual Living? What are we about? Why are we here? Are we here for the 30 or 40 of us that come on a Sunday morning? Is, if that's why we're here, is that it? Or are we here for a bigger reason? Are we here for a bigger purpose? We're part of Centers for Spiritual World, Living who is awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence, creating a world that works for everyone. I hope we're part of that bigger movement, that bigger thing that's going on. You know, our principles, the principles that we teach here, the principles that Reverend Megan and I talk about on a Sunday morning, you can get those just about anywhere nowadays, right? There was a time when we were the oddballs, right? But now we're mainstream. You can get us on YouTube, right? You can get us on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. You can read Wayne Dyer. You can read Louise Hayes. You can read New Thought Teachers everywhere on very open uh, platforms, Right? So what is it that we have that's different? Why do we come here on a Sunday, more, uh, Sunday morning? Why do we come together? What is the reason that you come to church? We have community. We have each other. I think that's a big part of it. But I really would like to know the answer to this question. Why is it that you come here? Why is it that you continue to come, those of you that do? I would love for you to email me or find me, talk to me. Reverend Debbie Monterey CSL, R-E-V, Rev Debbie Monterey CSL at gmail.com. I'd really like to know, what is it? Why is it that you show up here? What are you about? What's your purpose? What is the reason that you want to be part of this greater community? You know, the Spiritual Center has been here for over 65 years. Monterey, 68 now, something like that, 67 you know, 
And it's nice. I mean, it's nice to come. It's nice to come and hear a spiritual lesson from Reverend Megan or me or whatever visiting minister we have. It's nice to see friends. It's nice to have a cup of coffee, cookie, and hang out, you know. But is that the reason we're here? Is that the reason we exist? Is that the reason we want to have moving forward? Dr. Christian used to always say this, and I'm sure he stole it from someone else, but I love it. If you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. Right? So what do we stand for? What are we about? Ernest Holmes wrote this in 1958, two years before his death. He wrote, we have launched a movement which in the next 100 years will be the great new religious impulsion of modern time. We have to have the same faith in what we teach and practice that the scientist has or the gardener has. And when that great simplicity shall have plumbed and penetrated this density of ours, this human apathy and stupidity, this debauchery of the intellect and the soul, something new and wonderful will happen. It is the only thing that will keep the world from destroying itself. He wrote that 60 years ago. He had a vision. He saw the need for change even then. He saw the need for reliance on a power greater than ourself. He saw a need for reliance on source. He saw a need to learn the tools of how to manifest, right? How to use that creative intelligence, you know, through the teachings of Jesus and others, right? It is done unto you as you believe. So living on purpose. You know, this week I ask you to ask yourself this question. You know, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? And how can I come from that place of my essential self? How can I live on purpose? God bless you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Glad to have you here today. Good to have you here today. Thank you. Let's welcome.